Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu with the text of Zad al-Mustaqna' authored by Imam al-Hajjawi in the book of Hajj and Umrah. We've reached now where the Imam he left us off uh, where he said Bab Mahdurat al-Ihram the uh, chapter pertaining to those things which are forbidden for the person in the state of Ihram. Sheikh Mansour in his book Explanation of uh, Zad al-Mustaqna' تعليق المقنع على زاد المستقنع شيخ منصور هيساز مناسبة الباب لما تكلم المؤلف على الإحرام وكيفيته The appropriateness of this chapter is because the author has spoken about the إحرام and how the إحرام is supposed to be done ذكر بعد ذلك ما يمنع على المحرم فعله إذا دخل في الإحرام So then the author has spoken about what the what is prohibited upon this person in the state of Ihram, prohibited upon the muhrim, what's prohibited for him to do whilst in the state of Ihram. Mahdurat Mahdur. And Mahdurat, the word Mahdurat is the plural of Mahdur. Walhadur Lugatan, and this word it has a linguistic meaning which is al mana. Mahdur has the meaning of Hadr, which is mana, which is uh, to be prevented from and to be forbidden from. وَمِنْهُ قَوْلَ تَعَالَى And this meaning comes in the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَمَا كَانَ أَطَاءُ رَبِّكَ مَحْذُورًا And the provisions of your Lord are not mahdur, meaning they are not forbidden. They are given continuously, they are not prevented. So this was in Surah Al-Isra. So we find from the verse that we've just quoted, there's a linguistic connection between that verse and the meaning of the word mahdurat which as we said means al-mana' which means prevention and being forbidden from so al-murad biha the intent with it here in this chapter al-umur allati yamna al-muhrim minha is the things that the muhrim is forbidden from doing prevented from doing the author he says wa hiya tis'atun and they are nine things al-a'imma bi istiqra'ihim al-nusus dhakaru anna mahdurat al-ihram tis'a Sheikh Mansour he says that the scholars of this ummah the leading scholars and imams of this ummah, they looked into the texts of the Qur'an and the Sunnah and having done so, they came to the conclusion that the mahdurat, the forbidden actions upon the one in the state of Ihram are uh, nine items, nine things. The author, he said, The first of them is to cut one's hair. Halqushar wal murad bihi. Sheikh Mansour says, cutting of the hair and what it's, what's intended here is the removal of the hair in any way, shape or form. Whether that's by cutting the hair or by pulling out the hair or shaving the hair or other than that. And the evidence for this prohibition is Al-Kitab Wa-Sunnah Wal-Ijma' is the book of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, the Sunnah and the Ijma' the consensus of the Ulama. Firstly, Amma Al-Kitab, as for the book of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, فَقَوْلُهُ تَعَالَى Allah saying, وَلَا تَحْلِكُوا رَؤُوسَكُمْ حَتَّى يَبْلُغَ الْحَدْيُ مَحَلَّهُ And do not cut your hair until the sacrificial animal reaches its place. Meaning, do not cut your hair until you have freed yourself from the state of ihram by doing the act of sacrificing the sacrificial animal. And as for in the sunnah, the evidence we have in the hadith of Bukhari and Muslim from Ka'b ibn Ujra, who said that the Prophet ﷺ, who said, Humiltu ila Nabi ﷺ, I was carried to the Prophet ﷺ, 
or brought to the Prophet Sallallahu and there were lice falling all over my face from my hair meaning that his hair was infested with lice so the Prophet Sallallahu said هذا, I didn't think that your state of difficulty would reach such a state do you not find a sheep that you can sacrifice? So Kaab, he said, قلت, لا. He said, I don't. The Prophet said, Sum fast for three days, مساكين, or feed six poor people. For every poor person, you will give half of a sa' worth of food. And then cut your hair. So this is the point from it that the Prophet ﷺ is saying to him, do one of these things as a penalty and then go ahead and cut your hair. فَنَزَلَتْ Then it was revealed regarding me, Kaab says, it was revealed regarding me, the ayah which we just quoted. This was revealed specifically for me, خَاصَةً وَهِيَ لَكُمْ عَامَةً Specifically for me and in general it was re- revealed for everybody else. So we have the evidence that you shouldn't cut your hair from the Qur'an and we have the evidence from the sunnah that we mentioned. The Prophet ﷺ showed that the Ka'b ibn Ujra, because he had so much lice in his head, the Prophet ﷺ wanted him to cut it. But before doing that, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, you have to pay a penalty. And he went through the different penalties that needed to be paid. So this shows that it's forbidden. Thirdly, we have from the ijma, the consensus of the ulama, فَحَكَاهُ ibn Mundir. And Imam ibn Mundir, he brought about ijma on this issue as did other ulama. Sheikh Mansur he says, Know that removing the hair doesn't go beyond two situations, meaning that there's two situations pertaining to removing the hair. The first of them, removing the hair from the head. So this is forbidden by consensus. The second of them, removing hair from the body, uh, from any part of the body, whether it be from your moustache or whether it be from the pubic hairs or other than that. So the madhab, the ruling in the madhab is that it has the same ruling as removal of the hair, which is that it is forbidden to do so. Sheikh Sami Abdurrahman al-Nabahani Hafidullah in his explanation of Zad al-Mustaqni' he says that it's the humbly opinion that the muharim, the one in the state of Ihram can wash his hair if he needs to do so even though he's in the state of Ihram and he can run his fingers through his hair if he needs to do so there's no harm in that and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best the second of the things which is mentioned uh, which are forbidden for the muharim, the person in the state of Ihram وَتَقْلِيمُ الْأَظَافِرِ is the cutting of the nails. So Sheikh Mansour he says, from the prohibition, prohibitions upon the muhrim is the cutting of the nails. And the evidence for this prohibition is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Hajj. Uh, in Surah Al-Hajj, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they should uh, complete this right, uh, they should fulfill tafathahum and they should fulfill their uh, vows and they should make tawaf at the Kaaba, at the Bayt al Atiq. Well, tafath, Shaykh Mansur, he says the word tafath in the ayah, maqsood bihi, the intent of it, is taqlimul adfar, 
is the cutting of the nails and the removing of the pubic hair and other things which are related to these issues so based upon this the person is not allowed to take anything from his nails whether those are the nails of the hands or of the feet and whether the person removes the nails by cutting them or by pulling them out completely. So this is not allowed. Sheikh Mansour he says, he says, no, that the removal of the hair and the nails is something which is forbidden. Except that from it, two situations are exempt. The first of them, if it harms the person, the hair or the nails are harming the person, then it's allowed to remove them. He gives an example, for example, if one of the hairs is dangling in your eye, okay, or one of your nails has become broken, then the person wants to remove this, uh, the rest of the nail, then that is allowed because the broken nail is harming him. So it's either that there's a hair in your eye and that's coming into your eye, you want to remove it, that's okay, that's allowed for you as an exception, or your nail is broken and it's harming you, then you are allowed to remove that. He also said, If he was to remove the hair or the nail in a situation where it's connected to other than those things. I'll explain this. So he removes it with other, he removes those forbidden uh, issues with other than them as for example if his fingertip was cut off and with it of course with his nail then there therein there is no problem or for example he needed to remove part of his skin for whatever reason and on that skin there was some hair so due to this situation, he's allowed to remove the hair. And the established fiqh rule, which allows this, is as follows. That the ruling of the issue when it's connected to something else is different to the ruling when it is independent. So we know independently that to remove the hair or the nail is forbidden. But if it's connected to something else that you have to remove, then it has a completely different ruling, which is that it's allowed. So in the examples we gave, for example, if the nail is broken and it's harming you and then you have to remove it, or the fingertip was cut and due to that the nail of course was removed, or a person has to remove some skin and on that skin there is hair, so then the hair is removed with the skin, then in this situation, due to the fiqh rule that we mentioned, then it's permissible to do so. And in the situations that we mentioned, the removal was due to other than it, not due to the item, the forbidden item in of itself. The author he says, If a person cuts three hairs or removes three nails, Sheikh Mansour he says, that when you do something which is forbidden upon the muhrim, you have to pay a fidya. You have to pay a um, fidya. How do we translate fidya? You have to pay a um, 
a fine. You have to pay a fine for having done that forbidden action. لكن الفدية في إزالة الشعر والأذفار تترتب في شعر بإزالة الثلاث شعرات وفي أذفار بإزالة الثلاثة أذفار. However, the fine, the fidya, which you have to pay, it only comes about if you remove three hairs or you remove three uh, nails. And the fidya, what they mean here, they mean that the uh, fidya here would be the uh, fidya tul adha. It's known as fidya tul adha, which is that you have to you have to sacrifice a sheep or a goat or something of that nature. You have to f- sacrifice a sheep or a goat. Um, however, Sheikh Amr Bahjat, he said, if it's the case that the person has removed less than three hairs or less than three uh, nails, then the situation is as follows. For one hair or one nail, then the person has to feed one poor person. For two hairs or two nails, then the person has to feed two poor people. So again, the author, he said, The one who cuts three hairs or three nails, then he has to pay them. And them is the fidya, it's the penalty which has to be paid when somebody does uh, these items which are forbidden in the state of ihram. And what is intended by them, we'll come to know now. Sheikh Mansur says, if he cuts his hair, or removes his nails, then the fine is established upon him. Then he has to sacrifice a sheep. And it's conditional in that sacrificial animal, which is conditional upon the sacrificial animal which is given on Eid al-Adha. And these conditions of which animals are allowed to sacrifice or not allowed to sacrifice, uh, we will discuss this later on in a few chapters. So as a quick recap, so the person, if he takes more than three hairs, or if he takes three or more nails, then this person has to pay the fidya, and the fidya is shirt, fidya to dam. He has to sacrifice a sheep or a goat. And if it's less than that, if it's less than three hairs, if it's one uh, hair or two hairs, or one nail or two nails, then he has to feed for each of those a poor person. The author, he said, مَنْ رَأْسَهُ بِمُلَاسِقٍ فَدَى Whoever covers his head with something covering the head, touching the head, then this person also has to give a fidya, also has to pay the penalty. Uh, which is upon the person doing something which is haram whilst, whilst in being in the state of ihram. So it's forbidden to cover your hair with that which touches your hair. The Mu'tamad opinion, the relied upon opinion in the madhab, as uh, stated by Shaykh Mutlaq Jasr, is that even if it's not mulasiq, even if it's not touching your head, but it's over your head, covering your head without touching your head, then this also counts as that which is forbidden. And the evidence for this is in the hadith of Bukhari in Muslim, where the Prophet ﷺ uh, spoke about the one who fell off his camel and he died whilst in the state of ihram. The Prophet ﷺ said, وَلَا تُخَمِّرُوا رَأْسَهُ And do not cover his head. So we know that from this hadith that to cover your head whilst in a state of ihram is something which is forbidden. Sheikh Amir Bahjat, he said, if one needs to carry goods upon his head, there's a real need for him to do that, then it's allowed for him. But he doesn't put goods on his head uh, if he's hoping to do by that, to cover his head from the sun. So it's only, your, your head is allowed to be covered carrying goods if there's no other way for you to carry those goods. And also he mentions that if one uses an umbrella, then the person has to pay the fidya, he has to pay a penalty. But he doesn't have to pay it if one carries the umbrella for him. 
Likewise, if one raises a shimar, a scarf over his head like so, okay, then he has to pay a fidya, he has to pay the penalty. But not in the situation where two people take either end of that scarf and they hold it up over the head for the person. Why is this? The Hanbali scholars, they separate in ruling between that which moves due to the person himself as opposed to that which moves due to other than the person. So for example, if I'm holding an umbrella, that shade is moving with me due to me. But if somebody's holding that umbrella for me, then that shade is moving with me, but not due to me. So this is how they differentiate. So thus a person taking shade under a tent and issues like that is fine. There's no problem in it whatsoever. The author, he says, وَإِن لَبِسَ ذَكْرٌ فَدَى If a person uh, wears مَخِيط, then the person has to pay the fidya. If he wears مَخِيط, if he wears clothing which is مَخِيط, then he has to pay a fidya. Can somebody tell me from the previous class, if they were here, what is the meaning of مَخِيط? If somebody attended the previous class, please tell me what was the meaning of مَخِيط? So we said that the makhit is that clothing which is stitched clothing and it's made in a way that it fits the parts of the body. So Sheikh Mansour he says from the things which are forbidden the wearing of stitched, stitched clothing. And the condition of knowing what is makhit is two things. Sheikh Mansour says the first of them is that this clothing is made in the shape of the whole body or it's made in the shape of a part of the body like for example wearing a thobe or wearing a coat or wearing those long pajamas or wearing a t-shirt or something of that nature or something of that nature so firstly is that which is made in the shape of the whole body or the shape of a part of the body Secondly, and yalbis Secondly, it's when you wear that clothing for its intended purpose. So I wear the thobe as a thobe. I wear the shirt as a shirt. I wear the jacket as a shirt. However, Sheikh Mansur says that if you were to take the thobe, for example, and you were to wrap it around your waist as an izar, then in this situation there is no problem. So even though the thobe is stitched and it's makhit, it's made in the shape of your body, but because here you're wearing it for other than that which it was made for, then there's no problem there. And we mentioned previously in last week's class that if you were to wear a jacket, uh, not with your arms in the sleeves, but just over your shoulders, then that would be fine if you needed to do so, because you're not wearing it for its intended purpose. Uh, and the evidence for this forbidden action, the wearing of the makhid, the wearing of stitched and shaped clothing, is what we find in Bukhari and Muslim, the hadith of Ibn Umar, where قال, a person said to the Prophet وسلم, Ya Rasulullah, O Prophet of Allah, ما يلبس المحرم من الثياب? What does the muhrim wear from clothing? So the Prophet وسلم, said, لا تلبس القمس, do not wear shirts, ولا أمائم, and do not wear turbans, ولا سراويل. And do not wear pajamas. And do not wear albaranisa. Albaranisa are those wide type of uh, cloak clothings that have hoods, something similar to what the Moroccans wear. And do not wear al khifaf. 
socks, feet covering. Okay, and there is a consensus on this issue. Ibn Mundir, Imam Ibn Mundir brought about this consensus as did other as did other Imams. says, so based upon this, Therefore, it's not allowed to wear that which is stitched and made to wear on a part of the body or all of the body. Whether that clothing is from what the Prophet specifically mentioned, or from that which the which qiyas uh, is made uh, based upon similar items. So you find, for example, the Prophet mentions a specific item of clothing, and then we find another item of clothing which is similar to it. So we can make qiyas, we can make um, analogy and derive a ruling saying that this is also forbidden because it's very similar to the clothing that the Prophet specifically mentioned. The next mahdhur, the next prohibition is the following. The author, he says, may Allah have mercy upon him, if the person perfumes his body, or he perfumes his clothing, or he uses cream uh, on his hair that has perfume in it, Oh, he smells intentionally. He smells intentionally some nice smelling perfume. Or he uses oud. Oud are these sticks which are used as incense when you burn them. If he smells that or he uses that, further, then he has to give a penalty. So, So, Sheikh Mansour says that from the forbidden things is the tib, the perfume. And we have, for example, in Bukhari Muslim, the hadith of Ibn Umar, where he said, وَلَا تَلْبَسُوا مِنَ الثِّيَابِ شَيْئًا مَسَّهُ زَعْفَرًا أَوْ وَرْسٌ We took this in the previous lesson, that the Prophet said, do not wear anything, uh, whereupon زَعْفَرًا زَعْفَرًا saffron has touched it, أَوْ وَرْسٌ Warsun is a plant which gives off a nice smell. So زَعْفَرًا is explicitly, explicitly forbidden, by the Prophet ﷺ. and we also mentioned that even if it's in food or drink as long as the smell is there then it's not permissible for the one in the state of Ihram to use these things so we have also the hadith of Bukhari uh, Muslim of Ibn Abbas uh, in the hadith <coughs> excuse me in the hadith of the one who fell off his camel and died the Prophet said, And don't bring close to him perfume, meaning don't touch him with any perfumes. Shaykh Mutlaq Jasir, he says, Not all smells, not all nice smells are forbidden for the person to breathe in. Uh, the intent is tib. If it's tib, if it's perfume, strong perfume, then this is what is forbidden and has to be avoided. However, things like fruits, they can be smelled. Fruits, they have a nice smell to them. So somebody can happily smell a pear or a, or a banana if he wishes to do so. There's no harm in that. And thus, we can conclude, Sheikh uh, Mutlaq Jasa says, that even soaps that don't have any perfume smells in them, but just have their natural standard smell, um, then those are also allowed to use if one has to do so. However, it's better to avoid not to use them. The author, he says, وَإِنْ قَتَلَ صَيْدًا مَأْكُولًا بَرِّيًا أَصْلًا If a person kills, and this is forbidden to do for the uh, muhrim, if the muhrim kills, um, an animal that is hunted and it's eaten, meaning that it's an animal which is normally eaten, it's normal for the people to eat this animal. If this is hunted and killed, 
and it's barriyan it's that animal which lives outside of domestic the outside of the domestic nature meaning it lives in the wild okay and this is its original state we'll explain these points bit by bit inshallah so the author he says وَإِنْ قَتَلَ سَيْدٍ مَأْكُولًا بَرِّيًّا أَصْلًا وَلَوْ تَوَلَّدَ مِنْهُ وَمِنْ غَيْرِهِ Even if there is a crossbreed between the wild animal and the domestic animal أَوْ تَلِفَ فِي يَدِهِ Or this animal, which is wild, uh, dies in his hand without the person actually killing it فَعَلَيْهِ جَزَاؤُهُ Then in this situation the person has to pay the value of the animal which has been killed Let's see what Shaykh Mansur explains here he says he says from the forbidden actions is the killing of the animal which is hunted we have from the uh, book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showing this prohibition in Surah Al-Ma'idah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says oh you who believe don't kill the Sayyid don't kill the hunted animal whilst you are in a state of ihram and we have in the sunnah that uh, the hadith of Bukhari and Muslim of Abi Qatada fi qissati qatlihi al-himar al-wahshi that Abi Qatada radiyallahu anhu who was not in a state of ihram Abi Qatada was not in a state of ihram however he was accompanying those who were in a state of ihram so Abi Qatada he killed a wild donkey he killed a wild donkey right which was allowed for him to do because he's not in the state of ihram so the companions who were with him in the state of Ihram, they said, Are we allowed to eat the meat of this animal which has been killed, hunted and killed, whilst we are in a state of Ihram? So we carried the remainder, the remainder of its meat to the Prophet. The Prophet said, is there anybody amongst you who, in the, who are in the state of Ihram that commanded him to kill this animal? Or pointed to him that he go ahead and kill it? They said, no, Ya Rasulullah, none of us did that. So the Prophet said, Therefore, go ahead and eat what was left from this meat. It's permissible for you eat, to eat. So the hadith is showing us that had they said to Abi Qatada, kill the animal on our behalf, it would have been haram for them. They would have done something haram. Because telling somebody to kill it on your behalf is, is, is as though you have killed the animal yourself. So by virtue of the fact that they didn't, they didn't hunt this animal, and Abi Qatada hunted the animal, whilst not in a state of ihram, then that meat was for them permissible. Also we have uh, the ijma', we have the consensus, mun'aqidun ala dhalik, which is brought about in this issue, نقله ابن المنذر إمام ابن المنذر and إمام المقدامة وغيرهما and other than them brought about the ijma in this issue. Sheikh Mansur, Sheikh Mansur, he says, وعلم أنه لا بد في الصيد المحذور من ثلاثة الشروط. He said, be aware and take note that for the صيد, for the hunted animal to be forbidden, there are three factors that need to be considered. The first of them, أن يكون بريًا. The first of them is that is barriyan, that it is an, an animal which is found in the wild. فَيُخْرِجْ سَيْدُ الْبَحْرِ And this then excludes the ruling of the Sayyid al-Bahr. Sayyid al-Bahr, which is that which is found in the sea, which is that which is found in the sea, those animals which are found in the sea. وَهَذَا إِذَا كَانَ خَارِجَ مَكَّةَ And this is for the one who is outside of Mecca. 
because the ayah it says in Surah Al-Ma'idah permissible for you is the dead and that which is hunted from the sea as food for you and for the sayara and forbidden upon you is that hunted animal in the wild as long as you are in a state of ihram and of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whom you are going to return to so the verse is clearly saying to us that hunting the wild animals are not allowed but the, the animals of the sea are allowed for us to be hunted as long as that is outside of Mecca because in Mecca you're not allowed to hunt even the animals from the sea the animals of the sea أما إن كان في مكة as Sheikh Mansour says now as, uh, as for if they were in Mecca فيحرم حتى صيد البحر then it's forbidden even to the extent that the animals of the sea are not allowed to be hunted the second condition or the second factor to be considered أن يكون مأكولا is that this which is hunted it should be from that which is eaten أما غير المأكول فلا بأس بقتله ولا فدية as for that which is not eaten it's not from those animals which are eaten by the people then there is no problem in killing it and there is no um, penalty there is no fidya to be paid there are these uh, al-fawasiq al-khams something which is known as al-fawasiq al-khams فَإِنَّ الْمُحْرِمْ مَعْمُورٌ بِقَطْرِهَا لِأَنَّهُ مُؤْذِيَ for verily the person in the state of ihram is commanded to kill these five things because they are harmful to him and these five things are found in the hadith of Bukhari where the Prophet Sallallahu said kill these five things and he called them al-fawasiq yani the evil things the crow, the kite bird of prey, the scorpion, the mouse, and the rabbit dog. The third thing that we have to consider, mentioned by Sheikh Mansour, he said, That this animal which is being hunted, which is going to be forbidden, it should be from those animals which are wild originally. Meaning that its original nature is that it's a wild animal, not that it became wild. The wild animal is that which doesn't يستأنس, that which doesn't become domesticated from the animals in general. Meaning that its original status is that it's found in the wild. So other than this wild animal, like for example the cow or the, the goats and the sheep, it's permissible for the muhrim, for the one in the state of ihram, to sacrifice these because the original ruling the original state is that they are not to be considered as wild and the evidence is this statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala don't kill the sayyid don't kill the uh, animals the sayyid whilst you are in a state of ihram so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called these animals sayyid and the Sayyid is not given the title to except for those animals which are mutawahishat, which are wild. As for those which are domesticated animals, then the ruling is not given to them. So as a conclusion, um, those animals which are wild by nature, they are originally wild, they cannot be killed. Okay, whilst in the state of Ihram. And those animals which are in the sea can be killed in the state of Ihram as long as they are outside, it's done outside of the area of Mecca. The author, he said, Aslan. Speaking about the animals, he said Aslan, meaning that they should be originally wild. 
يخرج ما ليس من أصله متوحش شيخ منصور says this takes out from the ruling that which is not originally wild كالغنم for example a sheep لو توحشت if this became wild meaning it ran away and it became wild فطبق على الأصل then it remains in ruling upon its original foundation its original ruling and that is that it is permissible for it to be slaughtered so if a sheep was to run away and it lived in the wild and it became wild then that doesn't fall into the ruling of it being forbidden because its original state is not that is that it's not wild rather it's domesticated and the author he said even if this animal was bred between a wild animal and a domesticated animal if an animal was wild and domesticated and they both uh, mated, they bred, then it's still forbidden for it to be eaten and forbidden for it to be hunted. Because meaning that the ruling is given more consideration to the part of the animal which is wild. And the part of the animal which is wild is the forbidden part. So you have a part which is halal, the domesticated part, and you have a part which is forbidden. So the ruling is given in preference to that which is haram. The haram aspect takes over the complete ruling. And the ruling is given in that situation that even if it was uh, crossbred, uh, half of it wild and half of it not wild, then the ruling is given that it's wild, therefore it cannot be hunted and it cannot be eaten. The author said, All this animal which was hunted, maybe he didn't kill it, maybe he didn't eat it, but it, it died whilst in the person's possession. So in this situation, the person also has to pay a fidya, also has to pay a fine. Sheikh Mansur, he said, If the person has in his hand, in his possession, uh, the animal, with the descriptions and the factors that we have previously mentioned however he didn't eat it however the animal became died in his hands in his possession due to any reason whether that was directly killing the animal or by helping pointing out to somebody to go ahead and kill the animal or helping for it to be killed uh, then in all of these situations the person has to replace the animal has to pay the penalty by replacing the animal or paying the value of the animal and feeding with that the poor and all of this is because in essence in the original situation in the first state it was forbidden for him to grab the animal in the first state and based upon that the animal died even though he didn't kill it but whilst it was in his possession he was responsible for it because he should not have taken hold of it in the first place so he has to pay the, the fine and the fidya in this situation Sheikh Ahmed Bahjad mentions an important point here which many people overlook he said he said that locusts are also considered as wild animals so a person shouldn't Kill them whilst in the state of ihram. The author he said, And those animals which are domesticated are not forbidden upon the muhrim. Sheikh Mansur says, Al muhrim aw man kana fil haram la yahrum alayhi sayyid wa la tadkiyatul hayawanat al insiya. 
that the muhrim or the person who is in the sanctuary of the haram then it's not forbidden upon them to hunt or to kill the domesticated animals meaning those animals which are not wild like for example the ibl like the camel or al baqar or the cow or the ghanam or the sheep and goat what the judge and the chickens and anything similar to them and the reason for that ruling because they are not they are not wild animals that live out in the wild and they are not animals which are hunted and due to this the Prophet the Prophet would sacrifice camels whilst he was in the sanctuary of the haram and also, وَعَلَى هَذَا Sheikh Mansour says, based upon this, فَلَوْ نَدَّتْ شَاتْ وَنَحْوِهَا If a sheep was to run away to the wild, or anything similar to that, وَتَوَحَّشَتْ and it became wild, فَقَتَلَهَا الْمُحْرِمْ رَمْيًا And then the muhrim, he killed it by throwing a spear at it. فَهِيَ حَلَالٌ Then this would be halal for him. Why? بَنَاءً عَلَى الْأَصُلِ Based upon the asl, based upon the original situation, the original ruling, أَنَّهَا لَيْسَتْ مُتَوَحَّشَ that this animal, this sheep that ran away and lived in the wild is not originally wild, it's originally domesticated. So that's where the ruling is applied. The author, he said, وَلَا سَيْدُ الْبَحْرِ Nor is it allowed for the person in the state of Ihram to uh, hunt that which is in the sea. Sheikh Mansour says, تَقَدَّمَ أَنَّ سَيْدُ الْبَحْرِ لَا يَحْرُمْ عَلَى الْمُحْرِمِ إِذَا لَمْ يَكُمْ بِالْحَرْمِ it's, uh, we mentioned previously, Sheikh Mansour says, that uh, the hunting of the sea animals is not forbidden upon the one in the state of Ihram as long as it is not done in the Haram, as long as it's not done in the sanctuary of the Haram. What the Lilu Qawlu Ta'ala and the evidence is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Uhallalakum Sayyidul Bahri wa ta'amuhum ta'alakum laysayara. As we mentioned previously, that uh, the verse says it's uh, halal for you. It's permissible for you the hunting of the animals of the sea and their food is allowed for you as mata'an lakum. Now, Lakin Mahu Sayyid al Bahar. Sheikh Mansur says, What is the Sayyid al Bahar? What is known as Sayyid al Bahar? What is known as, known as the animals which are hunted? So, those animals which are forbidden for you as a muhrim to hunt if you are in Mecca. Outside of Mecca, you're allowed to hunt them. But if you are in Mecca, you're not allowed to hunt them. So what is this Sayyid al-Bahr? He said, Shaykh Mansur, It is that animal which lives in the water. And that animal which hatches in the water and lays its eggs in the water. Kasamak, like fish for example. وصرطان, and crabs ونحوها, And uh, similar to them. As for that which lives in the sea and on the land, then that is forbidden. Why? تغريبًا لجانب الحذر because the ruling will be given to the forbidden aspect of this animal. So if you have an animal which lives on the land and it also lives in the water, then the fact that it lives on the land, okay, would make it bar, would make it forbidden. But the fact that it lives in the sea would make it halal. So when you have the halal and the haram in one item like this, the ruling is given conclusively uh, to the haram aspect. So the haram aspect takes over the whole issue of the ruling here. So he said, أَمَّا مَا يَعِيشُ فِي الْبَرِّ وَالْبَحْرِ فَيُنْهَا أَنْهُ تَغْلِيبًا لِجَانِبِ الْحَذْرِ كَالطَّيْرِ الْمَاءِ As like for example, uh, birds which live in the water, كالبط, like ducks, ونحوها, and similar to that. فَهُوَ مِنْ سَيْدِ أَهْلِ الْبَرِّ 
في قول عامة أهل العلم. So it is from the hunted things of the land in the overall overwhelming statements of the scholars. وفيه الجزاء. And and if one does that, then he will have to pay a penalty. So what we just said here is a conclusion in this point that the sea animals are allowed for you to hunt if you are in a state of ihram as long as this is not done in Mecca. And if they are animals which live in the sea and outside of the sea, then the ruling is given as though they are haram. But those animals which live only in the sea, they are permissible for you to do, for you to hunt as long as it's not in Mecca. The author, he says, وَلَسَائِلْ nor those which are sa'il. لو صالت بحيمة من سيد البر على المحرم. If one of the animals, the wild animals, was to attack a muhrim, وخاف على نفسه, and the muhrim feared for himself, فإن له أن يدفعها عن نفسه. So this person is permitted to defend himself from the animal, ولو بالقتل, even if he has to kill the animal. إن لم تندفع إلا به. If it's the situation that he cannot defend himself except by killing the animal. And if he was to kill it, then there would be no penalty and no retribution upon him. So this sa'il means that the wild animal, uh, may Allah protect the Muslims, attacks a muhrim. And then this muhrim, he's allowed to defend himself even if it meant that he had to kill the animal. Because he was doing it out of self-defense. The author he says, وَيَحْرُمُ عَقْدُ النِّكَاهِ And it's forbidden to do the act, the عَقْدُ النِّكَاهِ عَقْدُ النِّكَاهِ Pronunciation a bit off today. وَيَحْرُمُ عَقْدُ النِّكَاهِ And it's forbidden to do the marriage contract. مِنَ الْمَحْذُورَاتِ From those things which are forbidden is عَقْدُ النِّكَاهِ Is the marriage contract. And the evidence is in the hadith of Sahih Muslim. Uthman radiyallahu anhu said that the Prophet sallallahu said la yankihu al-muhrim that the muhrim is not to get married wala yunkahu nor is he to give somebody else to be married wala yakhtub nor is he to give in make a marriage contract so in essence the hadith is saying and proving that the muhrim is not allowed for him to be married wal ijma' and there's also ijma' here this consensus mun'aqadun ala tahrim aqd nikah ala al-muhrim that the act of nikah, that the um, contract of nikah is not allowed to be done for the muhrim, and this is by ijma, by consensus. Wala yusahu, the author says, wala yusahu, and it's not valid. Even if the act was done, if the nikah was done, it wouldn't be valid. So Sheikh Mansur says, Hadal aqdu ala al muhrimah, awli al muhrim la yusahu. This contract of marriage, if it was done for the female or the male or both of them in nikah uh, in um, in the state of ihram, then it wouldn't be valid. Well, and the reason for that, anhu because it is a contract which is forbidden. and the prohibition is specific to the act to the contract itself. and there, that situation with the prohibition relates specifically to the contract itself then it is to be given the ruling of it being fasid fasad and that situation is whether one of them was in a state of ihram or both of them were in a state of ihram whether the man or the woman or both of them were in the state of ihram the situation is the same that the contract is to be termed as being fasid being invalid 
So Sheikh Amr Bahjat he mentions the nikah is termed as fasid and not batil. So you have terms for contracts in, in Islamic terminology, in the Sharia terminology. Sometimes it's mentioned that it's fasid, sometimes it's mentioned that it's batil, that it's invalid. And both of them mean invalid. In fact, fasid means invalid and batil means invalid. They share the same meaning in essence. However, batil is used when all of the ulama agree upon this nikah being forbidden. All of the ulama agree that this type of nikah is forbidden. But in this situation, there are some ulama that allow it. Therefore, the reason, the, 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 um, the terminology of fasid is used. Fasad, bil fasad is used instead of batil. Sheikh al-Hajawi, Imam al-Hajawi, he says, wala fidyata, and there is no penalty. So the one who does this act, the one who does fall into this forbidden action of doing a nikah, then it's going to be invalid, but there's no penalty that the person has to pay. The person doesn't have to pay a fidya. Sheikh Mansur, he says, Sheikh Mansur says that this, if somebody fell into it, there is no fidya. And the reason is, number one, because it is an action, it is a contract which became invalid due to the state of ihram. Therefore, a fidya is not to be given in this situation. And secondly, that there is no evidence that a fidya has to be given in this situation. In this situation. And the origin in ruling in this situation is meaning that the person is free from responsibility. There is no responsibility upon this person's neck. The author he said, However, a ruj'a is permitted. What is a ruj'a? Firstly, Sheikh Mansour he says, That this woman who is, uh, she's speaking in the talaq of ruj'a, talaq al-raj'i, uh, then she is allowed to be returned to the husband. Why is that? Because this muraja'a, this returning of her to her husband, is not a new contract. Rather, it's a continuation of the previous of their previous marriage contract, as because she is still considered to be his, his wife. So the talaq al-raj'i, the talaq al-raj'a, this talaq which he's speaking about, this this type of divorce, is the type of divorce wherein one uh, one talaq has been pronounced and the man has left the woman. However, before her idda period finishes, before her waiting period finishes, he takes her back, he's allowed to do that without having to start a new contract. So this is what the imam is referring to, that this type of contract is allowed. Why? Because the contract is not a new contract. It's based upon that. It's based upon, uh, based upon a continuation of the previous contract. Um, there's a few more points to mention in this section pertaining to the forbidden matters. But um, I'm going to stop here, inshallah. We'll continue next week, inshallah, with Allah's permission. But if anyone has any questions on these items that we've taken so far, then feel free. If not, we hope to see you next week, inshallah, where we finish off the items pertaining to that which is forbidden for the person in the state of Ihram. And then we will move on to speaking about Babul Fidya, speaking in detail about how we pay penalties for that which is done, uh, for that item which is done if it's forbidden in the state of Ihram. If anyone has any questions, then feel free. If not, we will see you next week. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you immensely, inshallah.